Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is a Lip Media Podcast. Hello, everyone. Just letting you know, just a bit of a trigger warning at the top of this episode. We will be discussing rape and sexual assault and things in line with that. So just a a quick warning, if you're not up for it, that's all good. You don't have to listen to this episode, but if you are prepared for that, that's what we'll be discussing. Hello and welcome to Hunting Seasons, the podcast that dares to binge watch, deep dive and break down a season of television each and every episode. I'm Broderick Gordis. I'm Damask Leary. And today we'll be discussing I May Destroy You, season one. Damask Leary, how are you doing? I'm good. So uni's all done now. Um, Congratulations. Thank you very much. And as we speak, our premier... Dan Andrews is talking about uh, the level to which our very strict lockdown might be lessened. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm excited to see all the details of that when we get off this Zoom call. Yep, yep. I'm I'm sure everybody else in the state is currently watching that right now, but we've got Mm -hmm. work to do. Let's (laughs) get to that. One thing I did want to talk about, um, important news that we haven't discussed recently. Uh, my team, the Richmond Tigers, are in through to another grand final. So, obviously, that has to mm-hmm. be mentioned because fucking... Of course. Ever since we started doing this podcast, they've been such a better team. My entire life, they were terrible. And then the last, like, three or four years have been good. Um, is that but your no, way of telling me that I can never leave? This is just Never, gonna ever go- leave. Okay. We're going to be All doing right. this for. Ever. As long as it keeps Richmond keep making grand finals and winning premierships, we're going to be doing this for a long time. Um, No, I did want to talk about, we recorded our last off-topic hot topic mere hours before this news came out. Um, Glow, Mm. the uh, Netflix series Glow, has been cancelled. It had been renewed for a fourth season. Mm-hmm. Um, and then due to coronavirus uh, impl- or effects on filming um, in Hollywood and so forth, they have just shut down production and said, you're not getting a fourth season anymore. The show is over, effective immediately. I think, ble- believe they had started recording uh, or filming some of the show, even maybe the first episode or two of season four. How are we feeling about that news? Uh, disappointed. I mean, if people have listened to our reviews of glow seasons i loved the first one i just Mm -hmm. fell in love immediately i thought it was amazing um forever in love with betty gilpin since that day um the following season didn't love as much um but i was really looking forward to seeing where we'd go after vegas because i thought vegas was a huge misstep i was really disappointed i mean there's i i guess I, i just don't understand why a hiatus simply wasn't enough. Why the cancellation had to come yeah. through? Um, yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, it's it's so disappointing. Loved season one, loved season two. We were pretty harsh on season three, or maybe harsh is not the right word. We didn't love season three yeah. as much as other people seem to love season three. But we were super excited for season four. And when they announced season four was going to be the last season, my expectations or my hopes went up because, as we've yeah. talked about a million times in our reviews, endings do a lot to define a show. Um, yes. And there was an opportunity here to go out with a bang and really like mm-hmm. – bring this all together in one last season. And the idea that's just been taken away from us and they couldn't find a way, as you said, to put it on a hiatus or do something else. Freaking, if it's... Honestly, if it's like the whole idea is the problem that they um, they had to do all the training and stuff to do the physical wrestling stuff, I don't know, animate it or something. Find a way around... I, I, I don't understand <laughs> why that means the show has to be cancelled. Anyway, mm. obviously the numbers weren't enough for the sh- for Netflix to justify it, which sucks. Mark Maron has been sort of started a semi-started a campaign or suggested they should try and at least get a two-hour movie to, yeah, I did um, say that. to end things, wrap things up, which would be good. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this is this really sucks. Yes, it does. I, I was I was very disappointed. I don't think not as disappointed I would have been earlier on, but I still like would have liked to have been given an ending because yeah. I was certainly still invested in the characters. Absolutely. Uh, all right. If anything else comes from that, we'll talk about in a future off-topic hot topic. Right now, let's get to our spoiler-free review of I May Destroy You Season 1. Let me clue you in. Season in review. I May Destroy You is a British drama slash dark comedy series created, written, co-directed and executive produced by Michaela Cole for BBC One and HBO. The series follows Arabella, a young woman in London who, after meeting up with friends for a drink, has a worrying memory blackout of the night. The series premiered in June 2020 on BBC One and HBO and stars series mastermind Michaela Cole, Waruche Opia, Paper Asidu, Marouane Zoti, Amul Amin, Karen Gill, Harriet Webb, and Stephen Wright. Apologies if I butchered any of those names. There's a high chance I did. I May Destroy You Season 1 consists of 12 episodes, each coming in at around 29 minutes, and took us approximately 5 hours and 50 minutes to watch. Damask, were you familiar with Michaela Cole before watching I May Destroy You at all? I'd seen a bit of chewing gum um, because my ex really liked the show, and I was like, okay, I'll give it a try. I don't think I understood what it was. <laughs> I had a huge misunderstanding of what I was going to be watching. Um, it was very, I don't think absurd is the right word, but it was very over the top. Um, mm-hmm. She played kind of this this really over the top character that I was like, am I meant to be identifying with this? And I'm sure a lot of people did. I didn't because I was not a hypersexual teenager at all. Um, so well, I could see why people liked it. I couldn't really connect with it, but I'd heard mm-hmm. that people really loved it and they thought that she was amazing. Very cool. I uh, have not seen Michaela Cole on anything before this really. Apparently looking at her IMDb, she was in um, Star Wars The Last uh, Last Jedi. Um, no mm-hmm. idea where. I imagine it's a background or a very small character. I need to go back and watch that movie again. When I spot her, I'll be like one of those pointing at the screen, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio gifts. Um, yeah. Uh, but otherwise, not familiar with her work at all. So I came into this with very little idea of what the show was about, except that there had been a lot of, you know, really positive talk around I May Destroy You. So Damask, would you like to give us mm. your spoiler-free review of I May Destroy You Season 1, please? 
I would. All right. Well, I, f- I feel a bit uh, nervous <laughs> about this review. Kind of nervous in a way that I I remember feeling when we like did our first podcast uh, for Breaking Bad, just feeling like I, I wasn't sure that I could speak to one with Breaking Bad. It was like the gravity of how much that show was loved. But this one is just simply the gravity of the subject matter, I think. Um, because the show does such a successful job of discussing those things. I, I feel challenged to be able to discuss it myself, but I'm looking forward mm-hmm. to the conversation we're going to have. All right, so this show is about rape, sexual assault, sexual coercion and sexual manipulation, but in a way that I have never seen before. I May Destroy You is not about the Me Too movement or the limitations and ineptitude of the police and justice system, although it does contain those elements because how could a modern tale of sexual assault not? It is about the experience of trauma, which, yes, is entangled in the Me Too movement and failing justice system, but it's not defined by them. There is more to the story, and when you shift from telling a story about rape to a story of a person who has experienced rape, it has the ability to expand into something much more. And Michaela Cole has honoured that story with a show that is unique to her, but universal in its emotional life for those that have experienced such things. As Michaela Cole breaks through the skin of this story into the flesh and viscera of this one experience, she opens it up wide for the audience to give their own life an autopsy. Rape is rape and sexual assault is sexual assault, but I May Destroy You deconstructs what we have been told those events look like and the complicated truths of them is laid bare, which is a trauma in and of itself that many people have to grapple with on their own. This show says you're not alone in being confused. I myself am a victim of sexual assault. The first that I recognise as such was when I was 17. It was the night of my high school graduation and the perpetrator was a trusted teacher who I believed at the time was my friend. Back then when I told friends what had happened, many were supportive as Arabella's are in the show. But there was also an undercurrent of questions that I didn't want to answer honestly because it shifted the story from looking how a sexual assault should. I mean, I didn't say no, therefore is it assault? I now know that it was, and being in shock is a very common response. And then also when I was telling people, there were people that hinted at it being awesome and a bit of a fantasy to have sex with a teacher before I had an opportunity to explain the nature of the experience. And so to diffuse the awkwardness, I would nod along. I buried it under my bed, just as Bella does. In that first assault, I know I felt violated. But does violation mean you are without blame? Is feeling violated a symptom symptom of being too sensitive, too inexperienced to know what sex really looks like? Maybe the experience of it is just different and somehow my interpretation of sex is wrong and therefore my definition of it needs to change instead of those that had done things to me change their behaviour. This show examines what it feels like to take another look at all those subtle and not so subtle experiences you have had in your life. And shockingly, even though you might know you've been sexually assaulted or exploited once or twice in your life, actually there's been far more. And those small things add up to such confusion around your own autonomy. How can you protect yourself from it? Can you? And if you can't, how do you move forward as a whole person, not fractured by the damage put upon you? 
And at no point does this show insult you with easy answers to your own trauma. Every line drawn in the sand is blurred and dulled with each wave of revelations. Are people all bad? Are there only victims and perpetrators? Is there always a clear right and wrong? And if you can't give a definitive yes to any of these questions, it doesn't make you weak. It means you are reckoning with your own experiences and learning to, de- to define your own life. At every level of a sexual encounter on this show, we are given a grey area to sit in. This person is bad, but maybe they are more this with a bit of that, and it's all so complicated. I saw many comments and discussions on Twitter about people discussing and trying to figure out who exactly is the real bad guy in many of these situations. Sometimes there is a clear-cut person who's our big bad, but far more often in this show, it just doesn't exist. Those answers can't be plucked from the sky to make the world right again, and it is that masterful weaving of personal truth and universal experience that makes Michaela Cole an unparalleled force on TV. I May Destroy You is a masterpiece. And that is my review. Wonderful. Um, thank you for bringing, obviously, um, some of your own sort of story to this, um, personal experiences to this as well. I think in a lot of ways um, you've covered a lot of what I wanted to cover um, in terms of the emotional and thematic side of these things. I don't want to go too deeply into them. I'm going to approach my review a little bit more looking at this at the, from the structural, sort of the way mm-hmm. it was created how it's put together point of view just for the sake of some variety in there because yep. I don't think I can really match you on the other side of that anyway. In general, I just want to say that I May Destroy You is pretty awe-inspiring in not just its goal and what it's trying to do, but also in its execution. Michaela Cole, being behind this, you can feel there is a singular voice that is guiding this all the way through. And this is a great uh, sort of example of when that can work really well. Sometimes that can be a bad thing. Sometimes you need more voices. I'm sure she wasn't just doing this on her own, but Mm. you can feel that with her creative force behind it, it's just so razor focused and sharp in what it's trying to do. And and it's um, apparent on the screen, the writing, the direction, the performances all the way through this are incredible. Um, So emotionally affecting as a piece of art and at times even devastating, I would say. Um, my initial feelings just watching the first episode, and there are 12 episodes, as we said, that run for about 30 minutes. It just feels very authentic. The characters and the world feel very real. Everybody is very flawed in their own way and yet also extremely relatable, even if you aren't necessarily from the same demographic or um, geographical background as some of these people. There is a lot here that's going to be familiar to you uh, as a person who's probably lived through their uh, teens, 20s, and 30s. Um, the first thing that I'm sure a lot of people have done this, and I'm going to do it too because it's a freaking cliche, is like, oh, this reminds me of Fleabag in some way. I had people literally say to me, oh, she's the next Phoebe Waller-Bridge. The thing is, <laughs> there is some truth to that, but it's also Michaela Cole is not doing a Phoebe Waller-Bridge impression or anything like that. I think what people are trying to say is this is an authentic female voice that's bringing something original to the screen, and that I definitely agree. I was sucked in early on as well because there's a bit of a mystery element that seems to be set up in the first two episodes. Mm-hmm. And then the show abandons that. Well, it doesn't abandon it necessarily, but that's not its goal. This is not going to be a procedural drama or investigation. Don't think that because I did it first. think that's what the show is going to be. It's something very, very, very different. Structurally, this show is not going to necessarily satisfy you if you want, you want a straight... Um, start to finish narrative, structurally starting in one place, arcing to somewhere else. It 
Um, it's less traditionally rewarding in that aspect. It's more of an exploration and a journey of what I would say is a journey of sort of healing in a lot of ways. Mm. We start with this initial trauma. There are multiple other traumas along the way that we um, look at. And it is very much just sort of seeing a wide spectrum of experiences around that that leads us to an ultimate sort of ending point. It's definitely not a definitive one, but it is one you can see thematically what the show is trying to leave us with. And I won't say anything more about that until we get to our spoiler-free review. But yeah, structurally, very interesting the way. Episode three, for instance, is a flashback um, that I wasn't expecting so early in the show. There is another one in the middle of the season that's a flashback to a character we literally have met in that season. Um, but again, it's wanting to talk about a very specific aspect of this sort of trauma and abuse. Mm. Um the as you said, and I, I won't sort of dwell on this too much. These are very challenging characters, themes, and scenarios. Everybody in this is a little bit shit, <laughs> and everybody uh, that's bad is a little bit good in their way too. It, just generally, everything is. And we've talked about this before. It's grey. It's murky. Things are not clear. There are no clear bad guys. Our good guys and the people we root for for are not always doing the right thing either. And it's challenging to watch them make mistakes or do bad things and have to come to grips with that as they do in the show. Even mm. like things like climate change activists and organisations, things you would think are so high morally on our sort of list of things that are good in the world come under scrutiny mm. and rightly so, I think. Um, I think if there is a weakness, it can be this show for some people is going to be very, very hard to watch. Mm-hmm. You said before we started watching this, you said to me that what, pardon me, <clears throat> you said that once we I start, I wasn't going to be able to stop as in mm. it's going to make me roll into the next one. That yeah. was not the experience I had. Mm, okay. I would watch two, three, maybe four episodes and go, you know what? Mm. I've had enough for tonight. I yeah. can't Fair enough. watch yeah. more of this. There was a particular episode, I think episode four it might have been, where I was like, I'm going to have to walk away from this for a couple of days, I think. Just because the show was so raw and so real and it wasn't holding anything back. And that doesn't mean it's graphic either necessarily, but it's... It's painting a very bleak picture at times, and um, mm. yeah, it was a lot to try and digest all at once. So I wouldn't binge this, <laughs> but <laughs> I also understand that some people might. Mm-hmm. Um, ultimately, though, I think this is an incredibly successful, insightful, challenging, moving, empathetic, essential storytelling, and that if this is something that sounds like you'll be interested in, and even if it doesn't, but you can think you can handle these themes, I mm. would definitely encourage everyone to check out I May Destroy You Season 1. That's my review. Beautiful. Damask, what is yeah. your final score and ranking? I am giving it five stars, which makes it the best season of I May Destroy You <laughs> I've watched yet. Uh, that's, yeah, no, that's what five. you get. That's what I get for looking at my notes and just reading off them and not thinking very, very well about that. Yes, a, so five a stars. five, a strong five, yeah. I'm going to give it a five too. I don't think it's going to be my favourite show of the year that we mm-hmm. have done, but there is no way around. Um, like there, there is there are movies like this as well, right? That you go, that's a masterpiece. I never ever mm. want to watch it again. <laughs> I may destroy is necessarily a show I never want to watch again, mm. but it is not. I'm not going to be sitting here going, oh, you know what? I just feel like watching an episode of I May Destroy today. It's not that sort of show for me. It's going to be my favourites, but it's definitely some of the most mm. um, 
yeah, affecting and uh, it needs to be celebrated as being an incredible piece of art, I think. Yeah, well, because I had already watched the show and then I was like, we should do it for the podcast. Um, so then I had the ch- – because I did it quite a few weeks ago now. I had the challenge of re-watching it. Um, mm-hmm. uh, that was a lot, I think. I mean, maybe like in a year or two, happy to re-watch it. But I think like I, with maximum of a month in between viewings, I just kind of had to have it on in the background and focus in when I wanted to remember something for the podcast. Sure. But otherwise, yeah, it's it's a lot. And in terms of um, – me like wanting to binge it. So I'd watch like maybe four episodes in a night or whatever, then I'd have to go to bed or whatever. And I think while there was so much going on and really heavy stuff and sometimes quite bleak stuff, I think what made me want to watch the next episode was every episode was a surprise. Like like you said sure. in your review, I thought I knew what it was going to be. And then all of a sudden, you know, towards the end of an episode, I'd be like, oh, it's not going to be that show. It's going to be something else. And then the next episode would be entirely different and dissecting a different perspective and, mm-hmm. and so on and so on. I'm like, where is this show going? And not in a meandering, aimless way, but just in a, a, a fascinating, they can do anything. Like, yeah, I don't, what, what are they, they going to show me next? Yeah, like my expectations were just thrown out the window and I, I thought that was really exciting. I 100% agree with that, actually. There's something that's really mm. cool about it is that it isn't as much as that if you're looking for that like straight through narrative, that may disappoint you. So, don't go and expecting yeah. that. You get that surprise or you get that, what's this episode going to be about? An episode starts and you're still not sure. It might be halfway or even at the end of an episode that you go, ah, oh, that's why we're doing this now. Yeah. That's what this this part of this story was so important to tell. That we had to flash back to this moment or go to this perspective. Agreed. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Before we dive into spoilers, we'd like to ask everyone who enjoys hunting seasons to please review us on Apple Podcasts. Nothing helps the show to grow more than by throwing five stars and maybe a couple of nice words our way. And to sweeten the deal, if we reach 25 written reviews on Apple Podcasts, we will finally review Buffy the Vampire Slayer Season 1. We would also love you to share hunting seasons with friends and family who you think might also enjoy listening. And if you don't think they'll take your advice, just grab their phone while they're not looking and just subscribe them anyway. Next episode, we'll be back with our review of Lovecraft Country Season 1. If you'd like to contribute to our discussion of Lovecraft Country, or if you have thoughts on I May Destroy You, you can write to us or send us an audio recording that we may include on a future episode to contact at huntingseasonspodcast.com or find us on Twitter at HuntingSCast. But right now, let's talk spoilers for I May Destroy You Season 1. You're now entering the Spoiler Zone. Spoiler warning. From here on, we'll be discussing everything that happens in season one of I May Destroy You. Before listening any further, we recommend watching all of I May Destroy You up to this point. If you've not yet done so, proceed with caution. There are spoilers ahead. You You have have been warned. warned. Deep dive. It's cool to know other people think about this stuff too. I guess we can start with all of the different examples this show has given us of complicated sexual experiences i think as as the show went on it 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 wouldn't let up i was like everything yeah. is up for re-examination which is good i think you know a show that helps you reflect on your own life is you know the best kind of show um but you know there's there's plenty of them you know even from the more subtle to what happened to Terry in Italy and kind of being mm-hmm. manipulated into a situation that she did, wasn't fully knowledgeable about all the aspects of it. Um, you've got Simon and his wife at the beginning of the season. She doesn't know that she's happy to have a threesome, doesn't know that her husband is actually already fucking that woman. Mm-hmm. You know, the the experience with – two experiences with Kwame we have. We have the explicit um, – What's what's the? Term? It was it was like non-penetrative rape sort of thing. It was like he yes. was asking. He asked the cop if it was like, is like dry humping still rape sort of yes. thing? Yes. Yeah. He did that a little was, Google. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So that happens, and then we also have the much more complicated situation of when he has sex with the worst kind of white woman in the world. Oh, um, yeah. what a piece of shit she is, uh, which made it really hard to empathize with her having any issue with it. But that's something to look at and discuss as well. Um, Definitely. This whole victims and perpetrators and who we decide is a victim and who we decide isn't, that kind yep. of stuff. So there's, there's so many – and also the situation with Zane, which is for those who are aware of it is quite cut and dry, yep. that thing. And it's something that I've heard many women I know speak about, which was shocking to me. I hadn't heard about it until a few years ago and I was like – that's really fucked up. Um, so it's so many instances that you have to kind of look at and then makes you reflect. I'm like, huh, something happened in my life that made me feel funny and now I have validation that while it isn't a clear black and white, I'm allowed to have those feelings of violation to any degree that I feel them. 
I'm just trying to think of other ones that were in here as well because there were... Then there's things like, if you're just talking about abuse in general and the way people are treated, mm-hmm. there is then Arabella and her, her Italian boyfriend guy, his name I can't remember. Mm. Um, there's him Biagio? blaming... Biagio. Him blaming her for mm. being for her sexual assault or mm-hmm. her rape. There is... Then later he draws a gun on her. Like he, mm. she goes over to see him, and then she, when he she leaves the apartment, locks her out, and just mm-hmm. then points a gun at her. Then you've got things like when um, Bella is having the party at their place, and she locks uh, Kwame, Kwame in the room mm-hmm. with that guy. Mm-hmm. It's like it's not necessarily direct sexual assault, but it's still abuse at the very yes. least. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's they're sprinkled all through this. Even like Terry, which is one of the things that, like throughout this, I was wanting to get to like the old high idea of female friendship in the show a little bit because, you know, mm. it's one of your favorite things. But mm-hmm. like f- pretty much from episode two for a very long time, Terry is keeping a very big secret from Bella yes. in terms of knowing uh, or telling Simon to lie to her and to say that he was with her and took mm-hmm. her home. Um, like, th- betrayals of trust are a big part of this yes. as well. Yeah, um, absolutely. There is so much to be going on. There's not a single character in the show who doesn't at some stage do something shitty or treat people like shit. Bella's big one as well, apart from what... Well, once she's confronted with this thing she did to Kwame, then... Mm-hmm tries to turn the whole situation on its head. And this even that moment. I love where her she's- reaction. It's so like honest and accurate, I think, to how you would respond in that situation. When you've taken up this stance that there is no room for grey, that everything mm-hmm. is black and white, and then you're confronted with doing something that makes you a hypocrite, yeah. that trying to like process that and trying to the cognitive dissonance it takes to make that work that you're the victim still. Yeah. Um, was a very, very powerful episode and di- a real exploration of that character and it, that I'm so glad was there. It, it, yes. The complexity of the of the Bella evolution from where we find her, just as that writer trying to like get that chapter finished for her publishers all the way up to where we find her at the end where mm-hmm. she's sitting in that garden with Ben is there's so many facets there. There's so much to explore. Um mm-hmm. It's, I don't know, but we've moved off the topic a little bit. Yeah. So, is there something you want to say about the fact that there are all those different um, I think perspectives, like it, all those different versions? Yeah. I think it just helped, like you said, when we get to that point with Bella and she is confronted with her own actions uh, affecting mm. others. I think having been exposed to all the different, different iterations of betrayals of trust, um, it's really important because it then informs us that, you know, Bella has been raped in the most clear black and white way. Mm-hmm. Um, so she absolutely is a is a victim. However, they do a really great thing where they don't minimise the experience of others. Well, not to that extreme, still affecting those around her and are still important and in informing their choices as well. Um, so having all of that exposure and just kind of like, it was like exposure therapy to kind of process mm. all the different ways in which people can be harmed in a 
sexual relationship or just a platonic relationship. There's so many different factors. At that point, we had experienced so much and I think learned a great deal about the subtle and not so subtle ways that things can chip away at us or our identity that when we get to that moment with Bella, we're not after some kind of like revenge porn of like she is the this saintly victim who gets to go out and just like cut down whoever she wants because it makes her feel better. It's it's bigger than that. It's it's more complicated than that. And I thought that was really well done. Um, just a couple of others examples because apparently we are listing them off. Mm-hmm. Theo was another one as well. Her story in terms of um, the initial mm. encounter with, I can't remember the guy's name, um, where they're having sex and he's going to take photographs of her without permission. Mm-hmm. Then she lies about that encounter which is its own form of abuse Mm -hmm. and then ultimately finding out what her mother did to her Mm. in terms of lying about being sexually assaulted by her father like that was a whole other level of things anyway i thought like with that one specific oh do you have a point no no go on go on go on i think that one's that episode when that finished i just kind of had to sit back and I, at that point, I couldn't go on to the next one because there was so much to think about. To process there. there, yeah. Yeah, because you see at the beginning when Theo is having sex with that guy and he starts taking photos and it's a very clear bad thing Violation. that is happening there. Yeah. Um, and then it goes from that to accusing him of rape. Very bad and under the protection of like, you know, white supremacy and like racial profiling and all of that stuff that tells Mm -hmm. certain groups of people that they can point a finger at someone um, and it's more likely that that person will get in trouble. Like Um, a bird watcher in Central Park. Yes, exactly. So there's that element as well that makes you, oh, my God. And then, yeah, you have those final moments with Theo and her mum and – the realisation that she has been exposed to, to stuff and abused through that, mm-hmm. um, which would skew your perspective around sex, the ways in which you can and should act towards those who you think have treated you badly, um, the things you can get away with, um, the you know sex as a weapon or using the narrative of sexual violence or violence against people, which is so damaging to a young person to like, you know, this is how relationships function. But it was so much because I didn't know how to feel about it. Like it was, mm-hmm. and I, and the, what I enjoy is that, I, you know, I've watched it twice now and, you know, the further I got away from that episode, I still don't – I know how I feel about it, but those feelings are really complicated. Definitely. And as the show goes along, you kind of get comfortable with the uncomfortable. You get, you know, comfortable with the complicated and just kind of learning the ability to sit in that was like just a really interesting exercise. But that Theo episode in particular really – you know, it felt like hard work. Like a lot of <laughs> my my brain was tired after it trying to process 
right and wrong and good and bad because that's how often the stories we've predominantly been told that's how that's the rules they live by is that people are bad people are good um yeah you need someone to be able to point the finger at and there needs to be some kind of justice whether it's you know in the justice system or whether it's like more of a personal thing but you know that's 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 a satisfying story but i you know i was finding myself finding satisfaction in questioning which was cool so much to unpack about everything you just said few things i want to talk <laughs> I'm about sorry. about no no it's perfect about the theo episode i love the way that episode starts with current day theo's sort of like opening diatribe at her you know mm. group therapy thing that she does and how the words she uses about abuse and all that sort of stuff you think you know what she's talking about because these explicit sexual things have happened to mm-hmm. our characters that we know. Yeah. By the end of the episode when it's repeated, it means so much because the spectrum of what abuse looks like is mm-hmm. so different. The abuse that Theo has received from her mother really in this situation applies, but you wouldn't go there naturally. That's not what you think about when you think no. about that sort of, of abusers. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it also... Theo's story plays into the idea and it doesn't go into this overall in in throughout the whole series, but there are smatterings of this, of how victims can become abusers as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. uh, how that sort of progression happens and how it happens for Theo is so, sort of more apparent. But yeah, we saw sort of how Bella sort of started to lose sight of, her, saw herself as such a victim that she couldn't see herself becoming an abuser as mm. much as that was only to a certain degree. But what you got to at the end there, I really want to talk about, and it's, I feel like we're getting ahead of ourselves, but I, I think it's, it really sums up what the, the season is. It's what the ending is doing, the last episode in particular, mm-hmm. which you talked about this is not revenge porn. We don't get satisfaction from seeing, and like the, the show is kind of meta in doing this too. One of my least favorite things in the actual show is that moment where Zane comes over, is it Zane? Zane comes over mm-hmm. and they, oh, he, he's, he's, she thinks she's meeting this uh, female writer, which, by the yeah. way, the fact that he's using a female a female pen name as well is disgusting. But anyway, um, that he, like, gives her these, like, oh, here's how you do story structure and, like, narrative. And I was like, oh, this seems a little condescending and yuck. Mm. I feel like Bella's probably across at least most of this, if not some of it, if she's gotten this far. But anyway, yeah. and then she's doing, like, the whole putting the story up on the walls. And I was like, I don't know about this. This feels a little hokey. But what it ultimately gets to is is worth it. The final episode of her trying to figure out how this story is going to end, this book that she's writing. Mm-hmm. And we go through, what, three versions, which get yeah. more and more sort of esoteric. Esoteric is the right word. It's sort of, like, out there and weird and less like attached to reality. The first one being just confronting and getting the one up on her abuser mm-hmm. um, or her rapist. The second one being she sort of tries to find like empathy with him. I'm trying to remember how the second one went. And then the third, like there was there was one version where she like took him home. They like yeah did have like a role reversal sort of thing going on. So I think and then there yeah was there was one there was one where. Her and Theo and, like, they kill him in the street. They kill him. And then I think there was one where she's in the toilet cubicle and the police come in to take him away. And And then there was the one where she takes him home and then the police come in and remove him at that point. Yeah. Um, No, the third time he didn't get removed. The second one, so the police came. No, the police came. They'd left already. They went back to her place. They had, like, a 
DNM, yeah. and then then the police came and took him away. And then the last one, they had like that role reversal, like sexual encounter, mm. and then yeah. then the police came, and then the body that she put under the bed, because that's where she how she dealt with her trauma, left mm. at the same time, which was from the first version of the ending that she'd given herself, and yeah. so so. That exploration of like, how do I end this? What's a satisfying way to do here? Is it the getting the one up on my abuser or my rapist? Is it finding, humanizing this person? Is it something else that's way less like, that's so um, removed from reality as to be fantasy or like almost like a drug trip, like weird Mm. scenario to try and like, and then you can figure out what it means later. Ultimately, it came down to, and I think that's what the show is. It's like, you have to, for your own sake, for your own health, find a way to move on, to mm-hmm. detach yourself from that that part of you, that event that happened that has defined her for over a year, I think, at this point, and move on with your life. Mm-hmm. And that choice to stay in the garden with Ben is so fucking great. Yeah. Like, I think it is the... Yeah, is cathartic in that it's mm-hmm. not cathartic, but that's yeah. real life. Like you don't just get easy answers. You don't get that ending, that fuck yeah ending. Like she got what she deserved or that guy got he deserved or whatever it is. It's like you just have to keep living and find yeah. a way to, to move on. It's ah, I it was think so there good. is a certain type of catharsis in the processing of what you would do if what would you do if and whether that's totally. what would you do have done on the night or what would you do if you saw them again and going through that process with her and thinking those things through and living that that those moments of fantasy mm-hmm. is catharsis and you can see the value in that um but yeah that 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 final step of having done that having worked through that you know it's it's not it's not leaving behind as such as it's just kind of letting letting go. Letting it's, go. It not it not being a permanent presence in her like all her her waking moments, which is beautiful, and allowing a calmness to wash over you. I mean, there's this sense of clenching onto in different moments in the season of clenching to, you know, it's not that bad and then clenching to actually I am the savior of all rape and uh, sexual assault survivors and just clenching and clenching and clenching to these ideas that somehow make sense of the world. And then, you know, at the final moments of this show, it's uh, this deep just, you know, breath out, just like this letting go of like, okay, like I don't need to have that control because as we know from the show, a sense of control or having faith in control isn't always, you know, isn't going to protect you. That's not how the world works. But having come to terms with and then being able to allow herself to breathe, I I think was the way to end it. And I think it was very clever to end it that way. Having a sense of control or having having this thing have to have meaning, having it Mm -hmm. have to have purpose, you know, that's what – you know, becoming that online activist was all about. It's like, well, I'm mm-hmm. going to turn this into a social good and it has to be yeah. worth it. This thing, ha- you know, it's almost like a transaction. I, I'm mm. in this debt. I'm going to use it to to do this thing. And it's like mm. that, that doesn't have to be the case either. You just... Um, yeah, you so your often life continue on. see that, I think, when you 
hear survivors talk of really any kind, and this isn't to begrudge them that journey, but so often Mm. the story is, you know, if what I've been through can help one person, then it's worth it. You know, that's something that people say all the time. And while that can be great, that doesn't have to be the mission statement, you know, the the initial survival and then the, you know, the next part is the processing and the third is to kind of find a way forward and to to move on in a way, in the way that you can. Um, it doesn't have to be this grander thing. It doesn't have to have taught you, you, you didn't have to go through that thing to become the person you are now. The thing happened and you are who you are now, but giving that moment more meaning Mm-hmm. Um, is sometimes more damaging than it needs to be, yeah. Uh, is there anything specific, any specific characters you want to talk about necessarily at this point? Um, I thought the perspective of Kwame was really, really interesting. Um, mm-hmm. This idea of kind of casual sex culture um, that does exist with gay men and not to say that all gay men participate in it, obviously, um, mm-hmm. speaking generalisations. But it does it does exist and I, I remember watching it and thinking about, you know, quite a few stories that uh, a lot of friends I have are gay men and stories that they have told me in a really cavalier way that made me go, well, how do you feel about that? And they seemed fine with it and that's all good. Me as a woman, I would have defined that as either sexual assault or rape. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's complicated and so... There is a different perception both within the world and outside of it. So Kwame wants casual sex, thinks that's what he wants and is fulfilling for him. And I think it is in a, in large part. Um, and it can be confusing then when something really terrible happens and then to not have the support because of the outside perception of what he should expect of himself and those within his community um, was also really interesting to see as well. Yeah, um, there was so much going on there and the, the people, because he has so many interactions as well, the different sorts of interactions he's having along the way, um, mm. extremely casual stuff like that supermarket moment. He's what, the supermarket with his grandma or something or mom yeah, or, or, his mom or something. Mm. Some, there was someone and then just goes off to the bathroom, has a sexual encounter and leaves and just how the casual is the word, more casual than even I would normally think about when I talk about casual sex sort of thing. Mm. But yeah, the complicated nature of that when you don't know people. The as you were saying as well, it's like I was really happy early on in the show that the people that were treating or dealing with Arabella's case were mm. very, very competent. And I was like, yes. oh, this is not this is not unbelievable. You know what I mean? Yeah. This is not that that show which is explicitly about the yeah. failures of the police to deal with this stuff. And then Kwame's situation comes along mm. and where he's really let down by not necessarily someone that's deliberately or um, is is deliberately failing, is obviously failing. It's more that this guy just didn't know how to handle the situation. He was not trained correctly for it. Yeah, maybe just complete he was ignorance. Yeah, ignorance. Ignorance is the right word for it. And it doesn't. It wasn't malicious, but it was obviously a massive failure that has a really negative impression on Kwame's ability to deal with when something like this happens as well. Um, I, it's so heartwarming at the moment though. That What do you think about that scene where he goes to that guy's place and he's not interested in sex and he just brings him a meal 
Um, yeah. And like, you know, let's just sit down and have a meal and have a talk and... Mm. I mean, I understood Kwame's confusion because I'm like, we don't go on Grinder to <laughs> go on cute date, but that's okay. That's what he wanted to do. Um, yeah, I mean, I thought it was lovely and really sad that yeah. um, the to see the the true deprivation of intimacy, um, and that's fine if you don't want that, but Kwame clearly after being really traumatized and therefore really scared mm-hmm. um, to be able to have the opportunity to ask for what he needed, which, was what, which wasn't sexual in nature. It was simply just having a, a connection that felt safe. Um, it, was, it was heartbreaking but also really lovely to see. And I'm glad he got some happiness because <laughs> it was full on for him for a while and he was very alone and not able to communicate what had happened or to the extent of how it affected him to his closest friends. Um, and that was really hard to watch. So I'm glad we got a, a moment at the end there where he could have that in- intimacy. I don't think, I mean, I don't necessarily think that he then needed to get into a relationship. I mean, I think that's sure. a cute part of the story. But I think just simply having that moment was the most important part of it, yeah. Um, were there, because I agree that I want a hug moment was heartbreaking mm. and heartwarming at the same time were there other moments in particular because this show can be so dour at times and mm-hmm. I and when I introduced the show at the start of the episode I said it was a drama slash dark comedy and I questioned that even in my how I said it because that mm-hmm. was how it was defined listen on Wikipedia probably not a great resource to be doing this anyway <laughs> but I was like I didn't laugh or find it particularly funny. There were moments here and there, Mm. mostly that came from the chemistry between our characters who just had a real rapport and a way of interacting with each other. It was very familiar and fun at times. Um, But I didn't didn't necessarily think it was even a dark comedy. Um, I wouldn't define it that way. But definitely there were moments. No, I think it was funny in the way that real life is funny. Does that make something a comedy? I'm not sure. I don't think the intention of the show is to be funny. I think no. just um, Michaela Cole is a naturally very funny person and clearly very charismatic um, and infuses her writing in that. And so the way yeah. that friends relate to one another is by joking and, you know, yeah. the, the absurdity of true life. Like when that uh, checkout lady asked for her for a selfie or whatever and oh, then yeah. her card is declined. Things like that are funny. I don't know if I would define the show as a comedy though. No, not even a dark comedy. Were there moments though that that did um, either give you some sort of like satisfaction, particularly, or that you enjoyed more than maybe the show was otherwise a less enjoyable because it's so serious at times? Yeah. So while they did have clearly, this is beyond the specifics of you know the sexual assaults and rape. Yeah. Um. Beyond that, the interpersonal relationships and the obstacles they face. What I appreciated about that was how quickly once something had come to light, they were resolved. I think that was an accurate depiction of genuine lifelong friendships that you have. Are you talking specifically about like, um, the example I would use here is Arabella and Terry, um, Mm -hmm. which in a different show, the 
revelation that Terry had been lying to Arabella about what she knew about that mm. night and so forth could become the like a breaking of that friendship yeah. and things would go bad and that would become a big drama. And instead it became a thesis or an example of like the power of forgiveness, which mm-hmm. is not always should not always be applied. You know, I no, don't think that Bella should be forgiving Zane necessarily. She's found a way to live alongside him because she's going to mm-hmm. have to because of her work, I guess. Yeah. Um, and she got she was even able to have a transactional relationship and get something from him in terms yep. of what that meant for her book. But there is a place for that, particularly with people who maybe have stuffed you over, but are really there for you and caring for you. And even if that, and like in Terry's case, it felt like there was overcompensation sometimes. She knew she'd stuffed up. There was this projection <laughs> yeah, of this idea of like- a huge amount of guilt. Yeah, I mean, yeah. definitely that instance, and I want, want to talk more to that, but just simply, you know, when it comes to light, how Kwame felt about mm-hmm. Arabella locking him in the room and her reacting very badly to that situation- um, yeah. And blaming him and shaming him for the things that he had done is terrible and could, you know, make you no longer see the person you love in a loving way. Mm-hmm. Um, however, you know, they're friends, but they are family and it's resolved very quickly. Uh, but yeah, specifically about the Terry situation, you know, it is about. It's about what you've seen come before, right? So if someone has a pattern of behavior that is abusive or undermining or is damaging to your self-worth and self-esteem, yeah, no, you don't forgive those people. (laughs) You tell them to fuck off and you walk away. But when you love someone, they are your family, they are your support, they are your foundation and have proven themselves time and time again to be there for you when you need them most, then yes, you can be hurt by stuff but they, the value of that relationship is in no way diminished because of one instance. It, it's being able to look at mistakes and be like, well, that's, that doesn't define you. you know, and, it's, and I thought it was very accurate. I mean, yeah. I think back to when I was a teenager and like these huge arguments and terrible things I would say to people and they would say to me and, you know, friendships would either survive or they wouldn't and whatever. And now that I'm an adult and I've lived, you know, a decade plus with with people and they've been, you know, an important part of my life, I can't really imagine a whole lot that would get in the way of that relationship continuing or French uh, or forgiveness or any of that stuff coming into play very quickly. So I, I appreciate it. It made me happy that that was what was happening. It's funny because my perspective on a lot of these the what you just said, all that, one hundred percent agree with. Um, in terms of things that like felt satisfying in the moment, mm-hmm. it's funny how some of those have a different feeling as I think back on them now. By the time I get to the end of the series, mm-hmm. but like when <laughs> Bella outs Zane as a as a rapist at that mm-hmm. um, talk she's doing, where she's meant to be doing a reading from her um, book. Yeah. Um, that was felt extremely like fuck yeah. That's such a like powerful moment and stuff like that and he just you know i don't think it's hard to argue he doesn't deserve something like that Mm. but (laughs) but that fleeting satisfaction does not do anything for bella in the long term it sends her down this other path that ultimately is putting uh, more strain on her friendships and her Mm -hmm. and herself and it's like 
It's funny how that felt so good in the moment. I was like, that was my favorite episode for a long time. But by the end yeah. of the season, it's like, oh, okay, that actually wasn't something necessarily that deserved that celebration. Yeah, I think with that moment in particular, I struggled with. It was like a fuck yeah moment. Mm. Um, but I think at that point, everything that I had seen felt really genuine and accurate to how I would perceive those things to play out. And when, sure. you know, to have the confidence to get up on stage immediately after realizing that this was not a one-time thing, um, that he has done it to other people, to get up on stage and say it. And I understand it's like kind of a shorthand for how women have been able to do that now since the Me Too movement speak openly about their abusers. It was shocking to me. I was like, would someone do that? At that moment, would he walk out? Um, I watched it again and I I think I liked it more the second time I watched it. There is like a moment where Terry kind of is recording him and says, you know, no, you're going to feel it or whatever, which is still makes me cringe. I don't like that line. Um, But I, I get that it's a shorthand and I think a nice reprieve for audiences at that stage after having witnessed so much trauma and bleakness, I think it's probably a really good momentary tonal shift to kind of build you back up again to see where we're going to go leading forward, yeah. It's also um, a little contrived in the episode because Arabelle's not even meant to be the one that's up on stage. The only reason she's there at all is because Terry suddenly is like confronted with all the stage fright and can't Mm. do it. So it's... It's not like Arabelle's gone, no, I need to do this thing. You know, I'm sorry to do this too, but I'm going to do this now. She's put up there on the spot and it just sort of comes out. Um, So, yeah, yeah, it's not as organic or as like character motivated as maybe it could be in that moment. This is getting really picky though. In the minutiae, yeah. Like this show is so good as a whole. Like there's very few moments where I'm not like, this is awesome. And that's, I think that's really well said, though. As a whole, when you put everything in context, because it's so easy to come into any show. And as I said, after a couple of episodes, I thought I knew what this show was going to be. And mm. I was excited for that, like, how are we going to track down this guy? Because yeah. there was, like, some really good... Are they going to kill him? Like, <laughs> that's what I thought well, the title meant, was they, they were going to track down this guy. Totally, And just fucking totally. destroy him. Yeah. yeah. And, like, and I, even I imagine that would be, like, this is going to be descent into darkness for this character who's going to become obsessed with this thing. And, like, yeah. but, like, in episode two, there was some really smart, like, investigation stuff going on in terms mm-hmm. of, like, figuring out where and where she hadn't been that night based on um, Simon's Uber transactions and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. It's, like, this is going to be a fun, like revenge mystery thriller yeah. thingy. It wasn't. It wasn't <laughs> <And> at all. <laughs> you, yeah, that was in some of my notes. I'm like, at, at, you know, at certain points in this show, I was like, oh, is this what this show is? And yeah. I was told a resounding no. <laughs> it's not what it is, which was fun. And that, even having this conversation with you now is making me really process and appreciate the show. It is something you get to the end of or you talk through and as you process it, it's sort of all the edges start to form and you see what it is and it is a whole. It's like Mm -hmm. a six-hour thesis or essay about trauma in the real world and how how to move through that, I guess. Um, That's pretty astounding stuff. Any last words? Final thoughts. That's why you always leave a note. 
you have any side notes, Damask? Anything else you want to talk about before we move on to the end of the show? Um, nothing. You know, usually I just kind of quote lines that I found funny and stuff. But I think just the little side note I had was I really appreciated the depths of which they were willing to make Arabella unlikable um, mm-hmm. and so giving her moments of where you just don't sympathize with her at all or her actions. I thought that was important because, you know, going through trauma is really messy and it can fuck with who you are and bring out the worst aspects of yourself. So previously, like we do see moments of Arabella being a shitty friend just in general and this Mm -hmm. just kind of what she's going through heightens that and the selfishness that she has demonstrated before just becomes this unwieldy monster. Um, And I thought that was really important for the show to do and I appreciated it. Yeah, I agree with that. And it's one, especially early on as well. Um, again, going back to the old, oh, it's like Fleabag um, line. But like, that was something that I always loved about the character of Fleabag is that while there is a lot to empathize and enjoy about that character, mm-hmm. there was a lot to really criticize there and go, mm-hmm. this is not a good person. Um, yeah. We get to explore why that is or what that means for that character and the, the people around her really effectively. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah, did a really good job. Was there a specific example of that? Like, is there. Um, the obvious one is when she starts getting really invested in the social media side of things and her followers, and that's when she got to her worst, I think. Were there other examples of that yeah. early on? or? Um, I mean, early on is obviously the trip to Italy with Terry and um, mm. her selfishness around, you know, while Terry did leave her, she had abandoned Terry at that point just to get really fucked up. <laughs> and then clearly through the dialogue that we hear, she is – held that against Terry for a very long time and clearly brings it up quite often, this grand betrayal and not acknowledging her own behaviour in that mm-hmm. situation. So just moments like that. We also see when they're in high school, some of the things she says to Terry are really awful and demeaning. Um, I think at one point she calls her ugly and that type of stuff. Um, so while there is a closeness, there is there is a selfishness. Um, there is a self-destructive pattern that she falls into when she doesn't want to deal with life, which affects those around her, you know, going out and drinking when she should be working and, you know, overindulging in substances um, when she doesn't want to deal with things or pretend that things, or she wants to pretend that things are great, that kind of stuff. And all of that stuff just gets worse and worse as she, you know, tries to figure out who she is now And she wants to define that by the emotions that the trauma has created in her. Uh, I'm going to change tact a little bit here before we get to our least favorite and favorite episodes. Just some side notes and sort of moments that I thought were particularly powerful or even enjoyed. The Mm -hmm. one time I probably really laughed in this show was there at the party at um, Arabella's place where her and Theo are talking in the room and then they end Mm -hmm. their conversation. They just say, night, Ben. And you cut to Ben who's sitting in his bed, this poor, like, sheltered white man just with his headphones on (laughs) trying to ignore everything that's going on around him. He just wants to watch TV, the cutie. Well, that's the thing is, like, earlier on you said that, you know, no one is wholly good. Like, everyone does something Mm -hmm. shit at one point except for Ben. And I think Ben kind of symbolizes almost this, you get home, you've had a shit day and you just put on your warm, comfy robe and it's always just there. And it doesn't, it's not able to help you process anything or work through stuff. Um, You know, the robe is not a therapist, but it's just there and it's comforting and it has a level of safety to it. 
um, which I appreciated. Like that that was his role. He didn't need to be a real character. He he was he was just there. He was the representative of um, a physical space of home. A safe space. That's yeah. that is interesting though, because Ben Ben is the least defined character and seems to be able to do no wrong. And like to the point where it was like there's one point later on where Arabella turns to him and is like, you'll have to pay rent again. He's like, sure, no worries. I'm like, what do you do, Ben? You're renting a flat in London and you're covering everyone's rent. Like, you might actually be taken for a, a ride here, buddy. A wealthy white man. Apparently. Um, I mean, you got to pay reparations. So, I don't disagree to, with it. There was a point when I was trying to like, when I still thought it was a bit of like a, a whodunit a mystery. mystery. It was like, yeah. is Ben... Was Ben the guy? Was it Ben the whole time? Because we like- all had those thoughts. I think within like the first three or four episodes, like maybe it's going to be a twist. Yeah, but it kept the thing was as well, and what it ultimately was leading to was that Ben in the garden moment, right? That ah, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what are you doing tonight? I guess you're going back to your restaurant, you know, or the the bar and hanging out. And she's like, no, nah, let's just chill out and watch whatever dorky show you want to do. And it's like that's that is like that's the final boss of this of this show yeah. basically. But the um, they kept focusing on him. They kept doing these like reasonably close reaction shots or ending a scene on a shot of Ben. I'm like, Ben's a non-character. <laughs> Everything about film literature and story literature tells me that you're important. This is how I figure out who the bad guys are in a season of Dexter, which is coming back, by the way, just on other fucking Ugh. ridiculous news. Um, but like, this is how you know, I figure out who the character is. Like, why'd they talk to that random person there and they got lines? Because they're ultimately going to be the murderer for this season. Okay. Mm. Like, that's that's the way. And so I had to like, when that wasn't computing, it's like, oh, this is not that show, bro. I'd stop doing that. Um, yeah, I kind of, that of is- like, sorry, on, Arabella's whole, you know, I can't fucking trust straight white men um, mm-hmm. while Ben is in the background pottering around. And he, I like that he is not affected at all by her going through that or feeling that way. He doesn't totally. diminish it. He's not like, oh, what about me? And the show doesn't say, oh, what about me? He is he is a straight white man that exists in her life, um, yep. but he isn't affected by her justified anger towards straight white men, which I like. Hashtag not all men. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but speaking again, just very briefly about like my expectations, very early on, there's all this attention on like scenes, whole scenes that are dedicated to Simon and his partner, Kat. Mm. And then, and so it was very confusing when we didn't really go back there. It's not like yeah. we got scenes of Ben just doing Ben stuff or scenes of Zane being mm. Zane. We got dedicated scenes that ran for a minute or two about Simon and Kat. And so when that sort of didn't continue on, I found that a little bit confusing. It was like, it almost felt like the show started as something else or maybe it was deliberately trying to make me think it was a different sort of show. Yeah. I, I mean, like- I don't know if this is the intention, but I think we see Arabella's life as this whole thing with many people in it. Mm-hmm. Um, her Her life is rich with friends and relationships. And then obviously when this happened, those superfluous relationships, particularly with obviously the wife and the drama that's going on with Simon, it's no longer really relevant to what she's going through until it you know, pertains to specifically that night and his involvement in what happened. Um, it, I think that p- probably is only occurring to me now in this moment. <laughs> it's not something that I could figure out while watching it. It didn't bother me because I think what was happening episode to episode 
was so enthralling and engaging that I just was happy to kind of forget about them. Um, and only on the rewatch recently, those earlier scenes with Simon and his wife talking about the food he's made and he's, he's added this new ingredient and it's a really interesting flavor and stuff. And they just keep talking about it. And I was like, why yeah. are they, they keep talking about it. I'm like, oh, of course. It's like when your partner suddenly does something really different in bed, they uh-huh. learned that somewhere. <laughs> like, you know, he was probably at his girlfriend's house cooking and that's how she made that particular dish. And now, right. you know, it's a sign that something else is going on beyond their relationship. And I was like, oh, okay. Now I get why there's so much conversation around this one dish. Um, a couple of moments that I thought were super effective. Episode two, I think it was, when the police officer or investigator asks Bella, you can see his eyes. Who's he mm. looking at? Oh, that moment of like when she hides no longer face. being able to deny yeah. that it was her, that she was the victim. That um, was oh, that the cry that she. I think. Well, we can talk about Michaela Cole as being a wonderful writer and showrunner yeah. and all that stuff. Like the performance she gives is fucking amazing <laughs> like it's mm-hmm. really really powerful um and obviously not to say she couldn't if she hadn't but is informed by her own experiences and that moment of um acceptance that you are now one of those people that yeah has been touched by sexual violence it was overwhelming to watch and it seemed mm-hmm. overwhelming for the character. And I, it was a big moment and, yeah, incredible to watch and really affecting and upsetting. Mm. And finally, just another shot that I thought was really interesting, actually because I thought for, a, for a, I don't know why, I thought it was 10 episodes, not 12. Mm. And so in the 10th episode, we get the flashbacks to... Arabella um, catching he her dad had not, not it's hard to say if it was cheating because it was always, obviously a complex relationship between her mm. father and her mother anyway but like mm-hmm. remembering that had happened that her dad had mm. you know wasn't this amazing guy that she remembers is so attached to anyway um, the final shot of that she has t- we didn't see this but it's implied that she has told her mum what happened to her mm. um, uh, the her rape. And the final shot of that is just her mum at her own oh. birthday, the dinner table, processing the information that this has happened to her daughter. Yeah. And I was like, that's an interesting place to leave the season. Um, but also it was just an interesting place to leave the episode. <laughs> right. Like That would be confusing, yeah. It was very confusing at the moment. But the mm. I thought that was devastating in its own way. This is a character I've only, I think, seen in this episode. Yes. She has a handful of lines. But you just feel that the emotion that she must be feeling as a mother to learn this information, yeah. to learn and that I think news. Because we haven't seen a great deal from her or of her, um, she, you know, can stand in as like this universal mum. And mm. I remember in that moment when she told her and then we see her kind of just sitting in it at the dinner table. Yeah, um, yeah I just started bawling because I was like, that would be devastating to hear. Um, and to be required to be so strong so quickly and supportive so quickly in that moment would be probably one of the greatest parenting challenges I think you could ever have. And I also think, I I think I was reading it on the AV Club, the reviews there. Um, I think it was actually in the comment section 
And someone was saying that, no, sorry, I, I do think it was in the actual review, saying that confirming that something has happened to your mum really makes it real in a way yeah. that talking to your friends about it doesn't. I mean, I've never told anyone in my family about any of my experiences with sexual assault and sexual violence ever because it's it's too big, I think, to be held. Mm-hmm. It feels too big to be held in that space. Not to say it wouldn't be, um, but and it makes it really real and something that you have to grapple with on a different level, I think, at the core of, like, the beginnings of who you are and to see someone who well knows said. every facet of you, to see it in their eyes, I think, would be one of the most challenging things to do. And I think that was a big moment for her. It's telling, it's like, it connects it back to the most innocent version of yourself, right? It connects yes. it back to your childhood. Um, mm-hmm. This isn't my adult life anymore that's just affecting it is. Yeah, telling the person that was literally raised me from a baby. And so this happened to that person too, in a way, the first time. Um, Very quickly as well, um, not to dwell on this as well, just the complex relationship of Arabella's with her parents because she seems she dotes so much on her dad and shows him so much affection. But Mm. she gives this information to her mum and her mum is dealing with this even though she doesn't seem to quite... Uh, adore her in the same way, at least mm-hmm. not outwardly. Just that, oh man, it's tough being a parent, having to yeah. to to, to yeah. take on that weight and watch as your shit ex husband or father of your children seems mm-hmm. to be able to just light the room anyway. Yeah, and I think uh, it's like the big moment for Arabella to recognize while her dad was always kind of the one and the one to kind of grasp for and to seek all the time they're just the recognizing of oh the person when things are really really bad um the person that i want to go to isn't dad it's mum because she is she is reliable and she is there and loving in all facets of who i am yeah least favorite and favorite episode what was your least favorite episode damask um I, I, I think it's going to have to be episode five. I, it's mm-hmm. the episode with the com, the condom removal um, and then Zane gets his comeuppance. I think at that point it was happening really quickly. Um, and before that I felt like we were kind of taking our time. The pacing was mm-hmm. slow but purposeful. And at that point so much was happening. And while it was like a moment of like vindication, like fuck yeah, um, yeah, it did happen really quickly. And just the way that it was done seems so out of like what I could see myself doing, which is not what a, a show needs to do, but this is just my personal reaction to it. Um, it seemed almost otherworldly to be able to do that. And so for me, it felt less real. Sure. But I think someone like Michaela Cole and Arabella probably could do that. My least favorite episode is episode four. That was mm-hmm. fun. And it's solely because it was really hard to watch. It was that episode where I went, I need to stop for a bit now. Yeah. It's not a bad episode, not even close. It is a very, mm. very good episode. It's an extremely important episode. It really shows you what this show is. It's no longer, you cannot deny anymore this show is going to be some investigative thriller and, you know, mm-hmm. as you said, revenge porn sort of thing. 
this is going to get down and dirty talking about the reality of sexual assault and sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just a lot. It was a lot. There was two rapes, I would say, in this episode. And I was like, that's a fucking... That's a lot to deal with. Um, yeah. And so it's like the episode I would gladly never watch again. Um, <laughs> and for that reason, I'm going to say it's my least favorite episode. But um, mm-hmm. not a bad episode. Not even close. Favorite yeah. episode, Damask. I'm going to go with episode nine. Uh, social mm-hmm. media is a great way to connect. This is where Arabella is fully into her social media world. And yeah. I think this is the episode where she's on a trajectory for much of the season. Um, and this is the culmination of that trajectory and it's a shit show (laughs) like she's she's at the height of being insufferable um impenetrable um at this point and it's the moment where her friendships uh all the issues within her friendships come to a head we do have Mm -hmm. moments later with terry but this is a real moment where you know terry stands up to her on behalf of kwame kwame you know has a moment of being given the opportunity to forgive Arabella. Um, Arabella has a great conversation with her therapist. Um, yeah, that was excellent, I, wasn't it? Yeah, which I was, you know, I was having conversations with Angela as we watched it about, you know, this is what she's doing. She's falling into the black and white, I need to make sense of the world thing that I think a lot of survivors do. Um, and that conversation just laid it really bare for both Arabella and the audience to see this is what you're doing and this is the way it is unhelpful to you, but says it in such a clever way to not point fingers at Arabella and being like, you're actually being a shit friend, even though she is. She does it the way that a therapist should. Um, yeah, I, I thought it was a great kind of stop, pause before we move into the, the final act of the season. Sure. I agree. That was a really great episode. Um, your least favorite episode was my favorite episode for a while. Again, <laughs> probably when I was still trying to figure out what the show was about. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately... I'd say it's my least favorite, but there really aren't bad episodes for yeah. the show. So, yeah. Uh, favorite episode I'm going to give to episode 12, 12 Ego Death. Mm-hmm. This is kind of, I think, more or less has happened as we've had this conversation. I've realized how much I like this ending. Because um, it's a lot in the moment when you're watching it the first time, and I have only watched it the one time, but it can be a little confusing as to what the show is trying to do. We're getting these like three alternate versions of how this mm-hmm. confrontation is going to happen. It's it's the least uh, anchored in reality. It's the most sort of um, fantastical version of mm. the show. But it comes to such a great... And not definitive, but a great mm. ending point for this characters, for this story, for this show, um, that it's so successful as an ending and does so much, as I said, endings are important to, mm. to give meaning and definition to the entire season that mm. I'm going to say it's my favourite episode. Yeah. Well said. Um, and I, I, I agree with you. I think the ending... Well, challenging to watch and plays with your expectations. So you get mm-hmm. excited because you're like, oh, my God, revenge. And then it takes it to this next level. You're like, oh, my God, she's jerking him off. And now, oh, my God, he's dead. You're like, what the fuck? And then obviously we have a reset. You're like, oh, okay. And then a part of me goes, oh, but like, is it just going to be playing through these fantasies and it's not going to be satisfying? Like, how the fuck are they going to end it? Yeah. Um, but they, they play with that because I think – you know, Michaela Cole is playing with that as well. I was like, well, how the fuck do you end it? <laughs> like, in what way can you end it in a way that is satisfying 
for a story, the way that story functions. Um, yes. And teasing us with that and playing with it and allowing the audience to have the realisation as we go along in that episode is like, well, it can't end the way that you want it to end because then I think it, while we want it, like you said, to define the whole and make it great, any other type of ending would make it blurry and a bit shit. Yes. This kind of open, yeah. It would be, the rest of the show would be worse off because of it. It would undermine what the show has been able to do so far. And like, yes, it's, kind of meta and a bit of a wank there. And yes, I love that. So of course I'm going to yeah. love this episode. <laughs> yeah. um, and, but you're right though. There was a moment where I was watching it going, is the, is, and it's just the surface level of what they're saying, but now she's kind yeah. of saying endings are hard. Like endings yeah. are really difficult. <laughs> yeah. um, but what they get to is so, so good mm. that you're like, well, endings might be yeah. hard, but you nailed Particularly it. Particularly when we're discussing or watching a story that is so based in reality. Yeah, to then yeah. give it um, the classic story arc ending, yeah, like you said, it undermines it by doing that. Yeah, and you ha- but you also have to have that discussion with the audience as you're doing it, which they do so beautifully. Yeah. Um, so this is where I usually ask for predictions, hopes, and concerns. There is no announcement that there's going to be. I may destroy you season two. Mm-hmm. It seems like, as far as I can read, or well, I've been able to research. Everyone considers this a done thing, mm-hmm. though we've also know that when a show is popular and when people like it or like the characters of the world, there is always the possibility to come back to this or do anthology mm-hmm. type thing where you have a different set of characters um, dealing with a different set of like real world circumstances or something like that. Is there a part of you that would like there to be a second season with these characters, a sort of like a anthology type separate season with new characters or something else? What would you like to happen after this show, I guess, or after this season of I May Destroy? Yeah, I, I, there, I don't think there is a part of me that wants more. I think there's a part of me that really wants more from Michaela Cole. Oh, <laughs> I think yeah, anything exactly. that she's attached to, I'm very interested in now um, and excited for where she takes things, her next steps. I think this show by itself, those 12 episodes, is practically perfect in every way. Um, so I, I, and I also think, and I trust that it's such a personal story that unless Michaela Cole has something really specific to say about it, she's not going to say anything or add anything to it that doesn't need to be said. Um, so if something does happen and there is a season two, whether it's with these characters or with new ones, I think she'll probably have something really insightful to add to the conversation so i'd be happy to watch it but no there isn't a part of me that goes oh i want to know more because i got more than enough this season and i'm going to be mulling over it for years and years to come i can imagine like another season five ten years from now that goes back to these characters to see where they're at later in their lives Mm -hmm. or i can imagine another season that maybe focuses more on Terry or Kwame or someone Mm. else. And then Arabella is still a part of this story, but she's not the center of the story anymore. Mm -hmm. Maybe. I don't think I want that. I don't think it's necessary at all. I think the best thing to do would be to leave it as is. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's so successful at at executing on its goals that the best thing to do is go and do something else now. It's done. Leave it. It's Put it, frame it, hang it on the wall, complete, mm-hmm. move on. Michaela Cole, I'm sure, has got 
plenty of other stuff she could be working on that's not the same and doesn't have to be attached to this. Her mm-hmm. talent alone should be enough to drive that forward. We don't need to slap the I May Destroy You title on it. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm like you, would be fascinated to see what that looks like. Thank you, listeners, very much for checking out this episode of Hunting Seasons. You can find more of what we do via our website, huntingseasonspodcast.com. Our logo comes from Sean Kirkpatrick, a.k.a. at Shawnee Boy Draws. Our theme song and bumpers come from Lucas Heil of Birthday Loyalty Club. Find links to their work in our show notes. You can also find myself, Broderick Gordis, on Twitter at bgordis, B-G-O-R-D-E-S, Damask. You can find me on Twitter at maskymo, M-A-S-K-Y-M-O-O. Next episode, uh, we'll be back probably in a week or two at the moment. Things don't seem to be happening as regular as we'd like, but we'll try and get something out in a week. But we'll be back to discuss Lovecraft Country Season 1. That is a tongue twister every time I try to say it. (laughs) In the meantime, thank you again for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye for now. Bye. Bye.